All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Rolling with the Winners, episode 28. I don't know why it feels like kind of a long time since I recorded because it's been literally one week, but I guess this last week was just really long, but uh, ready for another week here. We're getting close to being out of February, which is honestly, there's no argument. It's one of the worst months of the year, so... I'm just ready to move on to some spring weather here. Um, I am recording this pretty late on Sunday because I wanted to stay up to watch the Dwayne Wade documentary Life Unexpected, which I'm going to talk about and why I'm recording this so late um, after the episode ended or the documentary ended at 11. So we're just going to jump right into it here. Um, I want to start off talking about some follow-up thoughts from the All-Star Game last weekend because... As you remember, I recorded that episode during, I think it was the third quarter I started recording, so obviously I did not get to talk about the ending, and I started recording because I really thought the ending wouldn't matter at all, but I mean, that was actually one of the best all-star games, maybe the best all-star game I've seen in my life. I mean, you had Kyle Lowry taking multiple charges, players were legitimately arguing with the refs about calls. I mean, the fourth quarter was a a true battle, I have to say. I I was one of the people that was a bit hesitant, and I talked about it in one episode about the new format because I just, I was being critical because I felt like it was a little bit too complicated, and maybe they could have simplified it a little more, but actually seeing the game played out, I think it was perfect and brought some more spice into the game. It really gave the extra incentive each quarter to get that money for your charity, and then the fourth quarter was just a ton of fun and great for the game to feel like the players, you could just tell they actually kind of cared about the outcome for once they cared about finishing that game out and winning it which was super exciting so I hope that they continue maybe make a couple tweaks here and there on things they think would work better but overall I think the structure was great and will do some good for that game moving forward uh some more basketball talk Kyrie Irving was elected as a VP at the Players Association Association meeting I think it was either last week or the week before um my first thought was I have no idea what that means or what purpose he serves at all. So Chris Paul is actually the president and Andre Iguodala is the first vice president. I think there's another six VPs and um, I believe Kyrie was replacing Paul Gasol, I want to say. Um, so I just thought it was interesting to see because I know Kyrie has struggled with his ability to to be a leader throughout his career. I think He wants that, but doesn't always realize what that actually entails or can fully handle it. Um, I kind of, I reflect a lot on when he decided he wanted out of Cleveland and all of the really rough things he said about Cleveland, first of all, as a city, alluding to the fact that we aren't a real sports town, which, first of all, you don't know any real, like, there's not that many more real sports towns out there than Cleveland, Ohio. Like, that is a real sports town, so I'm not sure what he meant by that. But also, Kyrie... You know, he's always been a good player. He's had a lot of great success in his career, but that success, for the most part, has come when he played with LeBron in Cleveland. Before LeBron made his return to Cleveland in 2014, the Cavs were, they were pretty awful, and Kyrie played well, but he wasn't leading a team to great success or anything like that, and I think Kyrie might have had a, I I don't know, like just a 
clouded view of his ability to lead when LeBron came back to Cleveland because I don't think he realized the burden LeBron had taken off of him by being the true natural leader of the team. I mean, LeBron took a lot of the physicality off of him, which opened up a lot of opportunities for Kyrie. And like I said, he took on everything that it takes to lead a team. So I think when Kyrie went to Boston, he thought he could continue on the way he was and would just naturally lead the team, which it really did not work out for him like that. Um, And like I mentioned with the physicality being the other important part that LeBron took on, Kyrie is a commonly injured player. So when LeBron can take some of this burden off of him, it doesn't put as much of that on Kyrie and Kyrie can stay healthy, which he still had some injuries with Cleveland, but was healthy much more than he's been since then. Um, I mean, I swear he's injured. It has to be like at least 50% of the time um, when he was in Boston and now in, in Brooklyn. You know, and he's always been like that too since he was in college. He was injured in college. I I mean, I think Kyrie is a great player. I really do. But I just don't think he is at the caliber that he thought he was in his career. And I don't know if he would have ever reached those heights without without LeBron, to be honest. I mean, LeBron elevated him to new levels. And I don't want, like I said, I don't want to discount that Kyrie is a good player. I just think it's something to keep in mind. I mean, LeBron made Mo Williams look like an all-star. And Mo Williams, I don't believe, would have been an all-star had he not played with LeBron because that's just what LeBron does. He's he's played with a lot of All-Stars in his career, but he also has created, I think, a lot of All-Stars and turned players into All-Stars because he's elevated their play and made them on this great winning team during that time, which allowed them to be an All-Star. And I'm not saying it's easy to play with LeBron because I don't think every guy in this league has what has that it factor to mesh with him, but he has been elevating his teams for 17 years. And we really do have to think about the players he's played with in those 17 years and how their play was elevated during their time with him. Um, I mean, okay, that's (laughs) turned into a LeBron James appreciation segment, which I (laughs) didn't expect to talk about, but that's literally how my brain operates. I start talking about something and I'm like, you know, it's funny. That actually reminds me a story about LeBron. I mean, I could be talking about the pizza I ate for dinner and I'd be like, you know what? There's this really good pizza place, Blaze Pizza, which LeBron is actually an investor in. It's a great place. He came one time in Columbus and I didn't get to go. And like my whole story would just turn into LeBron because that's just how my brain works. But, you know, just my thoughts coming from a sports fan, regardless my own sport I play. LeBron's hashtag. I use that phrase now commonly when I am speaking on things in sports. (laughs) But anyways, continuing on the basketball train, Um, In some more interesting news, the Cavs head coach, John Beeline, stepping down, um, you know, Cleveland sports in turmoil as usual. I mean, this obviously wasn't a good match. His style was not really suited for the team coming from his lengthy career coaching in college basketball. Uh, Some of the things I read about the issues that were happening, uh, He was overly harping his voice in film sessions, nitpicking fundamentals, and not adopting to the NBA's offensive and defensive structures. 
Uh, a January 8th film session included some type of comments with the word thug, and he insisted that he meant to say slugs and tried to apologize the next day. But I think the players never really accepted that because they felt like he was kind of insulting their intelligence. Um, there's lots of things I'm sure you've seen that the team tried to make light of the situation by blasting songs with the word thug in it whenever he was around. Um, but clearly this was not a match made in heaven. And if there was already this kind of drama just a couple months in, just he needed, he needed to go. So I think it's probably best that he stepped down. I think he maybe should have stayed in college ball. I mean, he's, he's getting up there in age and he was having great success at M word. And I think he quite honestly probably should have quit while he was up and just finished out his career there. And then not tried to make the jump to the NBA. I mean, I get that like some people think that's the logical next step up, but if you're a really successful college coach like that, that's still a high pinnacle in your career and I feel like this puts a little little mark on his his record just having these few months not work out well for him, but um I mean, the Cavs organization right now is pretty much falling apart, so I think it's just get through this season and see what we can do next year, I guess. Uh, but in continuing in Cleveland sports turmoil for imp- important things to know in crushing brewskis in the muni lot, we have the latest Brown scandal. Greg Robinson was caught with 157 pounds of weed. An interesting t- statistic I saw on Twitter, it was posted by Angry Browns fan, that was the name of the Twitter account, they did the math and Greg Robinson took 863 snaps in 2019. His salary was $6.4 million, which averages out to be $7,416 per snap. The wholesale price for one pound of weed is $600. Obviously, I said he had 157 pounds on him, which puts the net worth of that out to $94,200 worth of weed. So it took him basically less than 13 snaps to make that much money, which is around one drive in a football game. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy because that's then sort of pocket change to him. But looking at the fact that it was almost 100K in weed is pretty crazy. In other Browns news, they had an open casket funeral for Swagger the dog, which I know I've said the statement before, but that's the most Cleveland Browns thing that the Cleveland Browns have ever done, rather than focusing on our lack of anything right now. We have spent weeks talking about the Cheesecake Factory, 157 pounds of weed, and making Swagger Jr. attend Swagger Sr.'s open casket funeral. It was just really the icing on the cake of an interesting few weeks here. I'm thinking... I'm hoping maybe this is all just some type of master plan so that the national media sets their expectations much lower for the Browns this year than they did last offseason, but it's actually mind-blowing that these are the things we're talking about right now. I'm just, I am in awe over all of it. Uh, It was just weird seeing a dog laying like that in a casket with a Browns blanket, I think it was, draped over him. They did a live stream or something too, just like, it's too much. It's too much. I have nothing to say about this anymore. My jaw dropped when I saw it. I just, I, I have no other words, but I had to bring it up because it's it's very Cleveland Browns of us. 
Um, In some Cleveland sports injury news, Jarvis Landry has changed his mind and he opted to get uh, hip surgery this offseason. They were saying he should still be back for the 2020 season. His surgery was on February 4th, so hopefully he can heal quickly. Uh, Another Cleveland sports injury is um, Clevenger. He is having surgery on his knee for a partially torn meniscus, and I think they are giving him a six to eight week recovery time frame. So hopeful for him to be better as we move into baseball season coming up pretty soon here. Um, And then our boys got to talk about the D.C. Defenders today back for another week. I hope everyone is continuing to cheer for them just as I am. Uh, this, This week was not so hot against L.A., uh, Cardale Jones threw four interceptions, I believe it was, uh, at least when I had kind of last checked on that, four interceptions. Not a good look for the face of the league to see him getting benched too when they were down 33-3. to um, I'm looking now that the final score was 39-9 to they lost, which is, that's a tough loss. Bummed to see it, but you know, you need to see some adversity in order to be successful, so Yeah, at least that's what I'm telling myself because I want them to be champions this year. Okay, last big thing I want to get into here that I want to talk a decent amount about is the Dwayne Wade documentary. Um, Like I said, I stayed up pretty late to watch it. It was a two-hour special on ESPN, Life Unexpected. I have really been looking forward to watching this and have really grown to love and appreciate him as a person over the years. And I just think he's turned into a really great guy and has learned a lot of lessons in his life and has put them out there for the greater good. And so I was really excited to watch it. Um, Just kind of wanted to go over like the moments, I guess, that really stood out to me uh, that I kind of wrote down as being just, I don't know, really explained a lot about him or I something I didn't know about him or just found interesting in general. So he obviously grew up in Chicago. His mom was doing a lot of drugs and dealers were kind of coming in and out of their house. Uh, one of the, the police used to raid their house all of the time, apparently like a couple times a year because they knew there were always dealers coming in and out. And one of the times uh, Dwayne Wade was uh, trying to hide. He was a little boy, you know, he was scared. And the policeman put a gun to his head and said, take me to your mom. And he said that was kind of a defining moment in his life that really traumatized him. I mean, his mom was in and out of jail. Uh, She never really got to see him play basketball in high school or his first few years of college. Uh, But then I think he said when he was a junior in college, she got out of jail and he got to have her come watch him play Uh, And what a moment that must have been for her to get out of jail after really not seeing him play ever and see an entire crowd of people chanting his name because they were good and those fans loved him. And I mean, that moment had me really choked up Uh, the season. They made it to the final four and D Wade was he was incredible. And after that, obviously went into the NBA draft, which just thinking about probably what was going through his head in that moment also to go from being broke and you're from like a really rough background to signing that contract, I just can't imagine what that would have felt like or how you even begin to handle that moment. One of the things I loved hearing him talk about was that his dad would play pickup basketball. He he got away from his relationship with his dad for many years, but uh, 
once he had kids of his own, kind of grew to appreciate how hard parenting was and wanted to kind of form a relationship with his dad again. And they showed the scene of him talking with his dad about how his dad would go play pickup basketball in Chicago and Scottie Pippen would be out there playing on the street with them when he was in the pros. And it's just crazy that was kind of normal at the time for a guy in the pros to still continue playing like pickup basketball on the street with a bunch of guys. I just don't think I could see that happening anymore. It feels like it was kind of a different time where professional athletes were just different. They've just been pushed to this other level of stardom where I feel like that just that wouldn't happen anymore. The tough part of the documentary for me was reliving the summer of 2010. They talked a lot about that free agency period when LeBron left Cleveland to head over to South Beach. Uh, not fun to watch. It's still crazy because it it makes my heart race watching the decision special. They always play that clip of that line. Uh, the crazy part of it all, which I saw this clip before uh, the documentary came out, but on July 4th, uh, the three of them, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron, got on a call together and they decided they were going to all play in Miami. But then LeBron basically ghosted them for the next few days. So they watched the decision the same as everyone else. They weren't sure what was going to happen. I think it was July 8th was the day. So four days of not hearing from him. And they're like, shoot, did he change his mind? <laughs> like, is this going to fall through? But Nonetheless, he did leave Cleveland for Miami, which, I mean, you all know how much I love LeBron, but that moment, it still always stings watching it. That was a tough day. I remember it. I I punched the ground. I was, oh, I cried. I was so upset. It was, it was a tough day. Um, my, some of the highlights from the documentary for me for sure were any of the clips of him and Gabrielle Union's relationship because it really just seemed like they were best friends, just a match made in heaven. He said he used to have posters of her up in college. Like she was literally the girl of his dreams. And I just think it's the cutest thing that they are best friends who ended up together and are now married and have this wonderful family. Um, something interesting in it, I thought, was seeing him talk about the summer after they lost to the Mavs which was their first year playing together. D-Wade kind of realized he needed to give up control of that team and let LeBron do his thing and really lead that team. He knew that he needed to make sure LeBron could play his best in order for him to win because he could tell that year they lost to the Mavs. LeBron was so concerned about keeping everyone happy that he wasn't playing his best. Um, so he knew like he had to give up some of that control in order for LeBron to reach the limits that he was able to reach then. Um, and then they won and then they won again. And after that second championship, D Wade, uh, had a child with another woman. I guess he got her pregnant while they were on, a, while he and Gabrielle Union were on a break. Uh, and she ended up for, forgiving him over time and they, they really had to work through it. And he, he took accountability in all of it, but I'm sure that was one of the hardest things that they ever had to deal with, um, I feel like now, though, when I look at them as a family, they're just one of the strongest families in the spotlight, just as a collective unit. I mean, I'm sure that was not something they ever wanted to happen, but um, the honesty and the working through that, I'm sure, brought them to a different level um, to where they are today. I think the 
most moving moment in the whole documentary to me too was when he started to talk about using his platform to speak out about gun violence and uh, then his cousin who was a mother of four was shot and killed in Chicago the day after he did an ESPN special and a little panel about gun violence. Uh, he They showed that clip from the ESPYs that uh, Braun, CP3, Mello, and D-Wade did in 2016, I think it was, where they started to really speak out about those issues that they believed in and felt were important to talk about. And he said that moment was one of the most impactful things he's ever done in his entire life. And I, I still remember watching the ESPYs that year and just feeling the gravity of that moment. Um, and that's still an issue that's really important to him today. You know, he has reached this level of stardom that's insane and most people can't even understand he's you know very obviously financially stable but you know his people and everything he grew up with and people he cares about are still back home in Chicago living you know a a tough life and so that's still a part of him and it's still important to him and something he feels he needs to talk about and I think it's great that he's used his platform for for that kind of good And then he kind of ended the whole thing talking about um, his kids and how he has had to get himself educated and really listen to what his kids are saying. And I think that's the most important thing you can do as a parent is just listen. I, I loved his message and all of it and that he just wants to help his kids be the absolute best they can be and he wants them to be happy and feel like they can be themselves and that they are supported in that. So overall, I thought that part was just a beautiful message and I think he's a great example of of what that means. They obviously showed the end of his career, his you know three seconds that he played in Cleveland, which I sometimes forget he was there for a bit, but he obviously was not happy there and was struggling a little bit just mentally. Uh, He had his time in Chicago and then obviously finished out his last dance tour in Miami. Uh, It was a great documentary though. I highly recommend it. Go watch it. I teared up a bunch of times, but I mean, that's just me. I'm I'm an overly emotional person. I watched Miracle before I watched that. Teared up in that as well because emotional movie. I mean, I literally, I cry when someone gets a deal on Shark Tank because I know that that's their big moment that they've been waiting for and it's their breakthrough. Um, So I cry in that. (laughs) I just cry at inspirational stuff. So um, I, I did think it was a phenomenal story to tell from kind of beginning to end of how he's grown as a human being so yeah highly recommend watching it um but that's all I have for you guys today please leave me a rating or review on apple podcasts follow or subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts um yeah that's all I got catch you guys on the next one